In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a hundred million dollar real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I'm very honored to have Jim Britt here with me. Hello, Jim. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Good. How are you? I'm living the dream. Here in happy <laughs> Boston. Happy, ugly Boston weather. <laughs> How's the weather over there? Well, here in Northern California, it's actually the smoke has cleared today for the first time in a few weeks. And uh, the weather is supposed to be about 94 today, so which is very nice up here. Maybe a little less. I'm in the foothills, so we're probably about 90, which is perfect weather. Of course, we don't have any humidity at all. So our humidity this morning was 6%. That's pretty low. <laughs> that's almost, that's like desert, you know, but we got trees. That's wonderful. It, it gets super humid here in Boston. Like you can't yeah, even be like 73 and you can feel the humidity. It's like, come on, <laughs> we just want a little bit of warmth, please. <laughs> please. Yeah. Thank you. So Jim, so excited to have you here today. Such an honor and such an honor to come across you in the first place. And so glad we connected and so glad that you're here today. So I have a million questions for you, but you know, I guess the way we can sort of start off is, you know, where are you at now and sort of how you got there or however you feel that you want to explain sort of your story in a nutshell? I could maybe start at the beginning. I mean, not at the beginning, beginning, but you know, <laughs> born in, no. I grew up in, uh, in the Midwest in Oklahoma. I guess you'd consider it the Midwest, but uh, I grew up there until I was about age 29 and I moved West and into Arizona and then California. But I started out my working career picking cotton and that was at six years old. So the whole family picked cotton. And I did up until until I was about probably 13 or 14. Every season, the family went out and picked cotton. And it was very, very hard work. We couldn't afford gloves for our hands. So when we'd get home at night, if you've ever picked a cotton uh, cotton bowl, it's, uh, when it's ready to pick, the burrs on the outside are like thorns. So you get home and your your hands are all bloody and full of thorns. And that's just what we did. And all the money went to the family for uh, school clothes and, and food and all of that. So we'd get a little bit now and then for a movie or something like that. But that was about it. And then uh, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. Uh, I was not a good student. I felt honored if I got a D. Not a B, but a D. <laughs> yeah. But... Had a couple of good classes. Shop class was good. I excelled in that. And we built a home. So I learned all of the trades on how to build a house, but dropped out of school. I just couldn't stand it anymore. And so 10th grade, moved on, got married at age uh, 18. My first child was born at 19. I worked in a gas station pumping gas for about maybe two years. And then my dream job was working in the factory on the assembly line. And I finally landed that job. You had to have a high school diploma to work there, but I didn't. And so I tried the equivalency and flunked it twice and still couldn't get a high school diploma. And 
happened to run into uh, one of the supervisors at the factory and long story short, got me in and, and I went to work. So I felt like I had my dream job. Worked there for about four years and really didn't have much of a thought about leaving. I had a lot of ambition and desires to do more and I wanted to do something, but I, you know, with my experience and background, what, what could I do? And late one night I was working a swing shift. I got off at 1230 AM and the next night was my night off. And this fella come by the area where I worked and I knew him kind of casually. And he said, Hey, he said, Britt, he said, are you going to work in this factory the rest of your life? I don't know, maybe. And he said, why don't you come go to this meeting with me tomorrow night? He said, it's a chance that we could make some extra money part-time. I said, well, I could certainly use extra money. I said, what is it? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, I'm not going. <laughs> I said, I, if you don't know what it is, why would I waste my night off? Said, oh, man. He said, they told me to bring somebody with me. And I'm going, well, I'm not your guy. <laughs> and then, he, then he said the magic word. He said, if you attend the meeting with me, he said, I'll buy the beer afterwards. Mm. And I said, what time is that meeting? <laughs> so, <laughs> Sign well, me. The meeting for the beer. I'll get that straight. <laughs> but it kind of opened my eyes. I, I sat there for about an hour. I watched a, a fellow get up and talk about the product and stuff and, you know, didn't really interest me that much. And I didn't see where I fit in. Then a, a fellow got up and talked about how much money you could make. And about halfway through his presentation, I sat up in my seat and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And not only am I going to do it, I'm going to get rich doing it. I didn't want rich men, but that's what I said to myself. And a little did I know by the end of the presentation, it was going to cost me $4,000 uh, to get involved with them. Mm. Well, I didn't have $4,000. I had $9 and that would be gone in the next couple of days. And nobody I knew had any more money than I had. But I committed to it. And I went out and applied at 23 banks and loan companies before I finally found one of high interest rate loan company that loaned me the money. So I got started and I didn't know what to do. Uh, the training they gave me, they said, you got to go talk to people. And he said, if you talk a little, you'll earn a little. If you talk a lot, you'll learn a lot. I'm going, well, how much is a little? He said, one a day. I said, how much is a lot? He said, 10 a day. I said, I'll do the 10. <laughs> so I quit my job, which was a mistake. And I went out to talk to 10 people every day. And for the next 12 months, I talked to a minimum of 10 people every single day for 365 days. And at the end of that year, I had 3,650 people that told me no. So I, I never sold a thing. And here I sat in my home. This was a turning point for me. I sat in my home, no furniture. It had all been repoed. Both of my vehicles had been repoed. My home had been foreclosed. I had a notice on the door from the sheriff that said, you have to be out in five days. And I had a wife and a child and 15 cents in my pocket and didn't know where to turn next. Didn't know where to go, but I wasn't going to quit. I <laughs> would not quit. Okay. And there was a knock at my door and that this is probably the most life changing knock or encounter I've ever had uh, knock at my door and a fellow from the company showed up and he said, I understand you're a hard worker and you're not making any money. And so we sat for two hours in my floor because I had no furniture and he taught me what I was doing wrong and what I needed to be doing. 
My next month, I made $2,600. Next month, I made over $6,000. That was the $6,000 was almost double what I'd make in a year at the factory. Wow. And by the end of that 12 months, the next 12 months, with that business, which earned me up to $50,000, $60,000 a month in later months that year, and another business I started as a result of that, at the end of my second year, I was a millionaire at 23 years old. So it taught me that, you know, if you've got something that's viable and you continue with it and you don't give up, the answers to what you're looking for will come to you. Maybe last minute. It's like, you know, the, the plane taking off down the runway. And it's, I remember seeing my first 747 takeoff. And it just looked like such a big plane. It was never going to get off the ground. And it was just, it looked like it was just struggling. It finally lifts up and it still struggles, you know, and eventually it takes off. But most people stop about the time that the struggle starts near the end of the runway. They're just about to lift off. And so it taught me a lot, taught me a lot. That was a, a major, that person, I never saw him again, never talked to him again. And he was like a, he, it, you know, it was like a savior that saved me. So you never know where an, an idea is going to come from. And it might be something really, really small that makes a huge difference in your life. And that made a huge difference. So that's how I started. And I met a fellow that was doing training for that company. Uh, his name is Jim Rohn. Have you heard of Jim Rohn? Most people have that's yeah. uh, in the personal development. Jim is probably the number one in the world and in, in, in many people's eyes for sure. I met Jim and we became close friends. And then that company uh, went out of business a few years later. And I kind of went off into other directions doing different things. And I was, I lost touch with Jim. And so I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona and looking at some property uh, to, to build some stuff on and walked into a restaurant one morning to have breakfast and there sat Jim Rohn and he didn't live in Phoenix either. <laughs> so we reconnected and uh, sat for breakfast and he said, why don't you join me in business? So we ended up as a business partner. Uh, I ended up promoting him and then that phased into me speaking and just step by step over the last 43 years now that, uh, that I've been speaking and, training and writing books and that type of thing. So, you know, that's how I got where I am. <laughs> that's amazing. So, oh man, I'm just blown away by your story. Now, when you were the factory worker and your friend was asking you to go with him to that meeting, was it only the beer that sort of <laughs> influenced that? That got me to that meeting. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was interested in making extra money, but he didn't know what it was. And, and he said, they said, bring somebody with you. I'm going, well, this is strange, but the beer is really why I went. And, <laughs> and, and we had beer afterwards too. And <laughs> Thank God for beer, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. And then also this gentleman that you mentioned that was like a savior. I mean, it's just crazy because he, it's like he literally came to your door to rescue you. I felt like as he, yeah. we were both sitting on your floor together and then you never saw him again after. That's just like, it almost feels like an angel appeared and then just was like, see ya. <laughs> okay. you know what? what I learned from that is if you're, if you're open and you're not focused on what's wrong in your life, because when you focus on what's wrong, you're going to create more of the same. 
You know, if you're focused on being broke, you're going to create more of being broke. Yep. So when you learn to let go of that stuff and, and live your life openly, there's angels everywhere. I mean, there's ideas everywhere. I do an exercise. I tell somebody to, to uh, think of the biggest problem they have in their life. Biggest problem right now. I said, then I want you to pick up a magazine, any type of magazine. It could be a sports, it could be a cosmopolitan or whatever it is, and open to any page and find the answer to your problem. And I've never failed to have everybody in a class that could have a thousand people, they all find the answer to their problems. No way. <laughs> yep. Any magazine. Any magazine. Open it up open. It could be an ad you're opening to. It could be uh, an article. It could be anything, but uh, you'll find the answer. If you're wide open to, to find it, it's there. Gosh, wow. and it <laughs> I've just, had a few people struggle with it, <laughs> but they find it. They find it. I'm like, where are my magazines? I don't have any on me right now. You could almost look at any anything. You could look at a, a tree outside and find the answer to your problem if you really are open to it. Because you know, you can look at a tree and you say, "Well, you know, that tree is is sturdy and strong. It's got big roots. It's standing tall. Mm. Uh, the leaves are blowing in the breeze, but the structure is strong." You can look and find things like that. Though you can look at a building. You, it's it's just using your your mind and being open. Uh, to having answers come to you, but they're there. We just get caught up in the wrong things. Now that that leads me to a question for you. So when you mentioned that you had gotten home and you saw the basically the eviction notice, foreclosure notice on your door, like at that point in time, what was it that you were experiencing? Like inside, were you sort of asking for that clarity, or were you? Was it more like how was it at that time? Because I know oftentimes, you know, we're at rock bottom, it's so many emotions start to get involved. And it's like, how do you see clearly through that, through that point in time, you know? You know, it was partially inspiration and desperation, a little bit of both. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea. I mean, I really, I really hadn't thought past the five days, but I'll tell you, there was a series, series of miracles took place in those five days. And it was, uh, was the second part of my business where I earned, earned, the, the rest of that million dollars. But it was also the the saving grace of the next five days and what I was going to do at the end of that. So I needed some money. I, I needed whatever, $10, $5. I need money to, to feed the family, but yeah. we needed food. And so I was in the, the business I was in was selling cleaning materials and supplies and soap and that type of thing. And so I had a, a customer that had bought uh, some quarts of uh, cleaning product from me. And he was kind of a friend that I did some work with uh, back in high school, clean up around his construction sites. So he was about three miles away. It was the middle of the summer. I didn't have any quarts of cleaning or carpet shampoo, but I had a five gallon. So I thought, I'm going to see if I can convince him to buy this five gallon. <laughs> so I picked it up and I started walking. And it's 100 degrees in Oklahoma, and the humidity was high, and it was hot. I mean, middle of the day, but I was desperate, and I just I kept walking, and I'd, I'd walk maybe 
you know, 100 yards, 200 yards, set down the bucket, set down on the bucket. One time I actually broke down. I just, I just going, what am I doing? You know, and I mean, I really got emotional. And finally, I'd just take a deep breath or two, get back up, grab the bucket and off I'd go because I had no other choice. So I just kept going until I got there. And I'd change hands. I mean, my, my hand hurt so bad carrying five gallons of, of liquid for three miles. And I finally get to his, to his office and I walk in. I'm like soaking wet. <laughs> I've been sweating so bad. And I walk in and set down the, the bucket of uh, shampoo. And he walks out of his office about that time. And he said, hey, Jim, he said, uh, we're, my brother and I were just talking about you. He said, uh, do you have a few minutes? And I said, yeah. And I said, I, bought, I brought you some carpet shampoo. I figured you're about out. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, I'll take it. And he turned to his uh, assistant and said, hey, cut Jim a check for this. Uh, and I'm going, wow, I'm glad he wasn't going to send the check. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I go, into, I go into his office and now I'm feeling pretty good. I got 20 bucks in my pocket now. I got a $20 check. Awesome. Go into his office and um, he said, so how's your business going? I said, great. <laughs> he said, oh, well, he's my brother and I wanted to talk to you about something. And I said, what? He said, well, you know, you used to work for me uh, back in, in high school. And he said, I thought you were pretty smart. He said, you, you're very bright about, you know, construction and you saved me a lot of money in some cases. And he said, we'd like to talk to you about being a business partner with us. And I said, well, my business is going okay, but I don't really have the money to be a partner. <laughs> right, right. No, no, we don't want you to invest. He said, we want to invest in you. Wow. And I said, how so? And he said, well, we've got this apartment complex we're going to build. It's 52 units. And he says, um, we'd like to, for you to run the job. He said, we think you'd do a, a great job at it. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, we'll make you a partner if you accomplish certain criteria. Mm. He said, first of all, we'll pay you $300 a week. I'm going, I'm already there. I'm already going, okay. <laughs> yes. You the rest of the yeah. job, the 300 a week. He <laughs> said, we'll pay you 300 a week, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. It'd be like getting, you know, three, three or 4,000 a week now. You know, we'll pay you 300 a week. We'll furnish you with a vehicle, which I didn't have. He said, if you want, you can move into one of our three-bedroom furnished apartments. I didn't have any furniture or a place to live. What? Oh, my gosh. And so, uh, and I didn't have any furniture to move, so it was going to be easy to move, too. <laughs> so, so, man, I latched onto that. And so, he said, well, let's go out to the site and take a look. And now, I didn't know what to expect, but what I found was, a, I don't know, two, three acres of just weeds grown up. Wow. And I thought it would be a construction site under construction, but it wasn't. They had plans for it and all of that. So he presents me with this big set of plans and rolls them out on the hood of the car. And he said, I'll be back in a minute. I need to go check on something over at the corner of the property. He said, take a look at these and see what you think. I'm looking through this stuff. I had no idea what I was looking at. You know, I'd never seen this <laughs> plan before. And when he comes back, he said, well, what do you think? And I said, that looks pretty good. He says, do you think you can handle it? I said, yep. And my gut is like in a knot because I have no idea. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this was on a Thursday and he says, uh, well, can you start tomorrow? And I said, well, I have a couple of things I need to wrap up. And I said, you know, my, my rent's up at the place I live, which was actually wasn't rent. <laughs> it was right. 
on foreclosure. I said, um, I'd like to take you up on that three bedroom apartment and, um, and move in over the weekend and I'll start on Monday. So I got on the phone and started calling contractors and asking them how to build an apartment complex. What would be the first thing you need? <laughs> They'd say, well, you need a survey, you need plans, you need a permit, you need this, you need that. And then they'd finally, they'd say, well, how could, why don't we just meet? And, uh, you know, we can, because I was talking to them like I was going to have them do the building. And when they got to that point, I would hang up and call another one and I would start where they left off. <laughs> so I learned how to build it. I didn't know how, but I, I got the details. So anyway, long story short, they said, uh, you have a year to build it, 52 unit apartment complex. He said, uh, it's finished when all of the units are carpeted and we consider it finished when they're carpeted and all of the fixtures are in. Mm. And he said, every day that you finish early, you get a thousand dollar a day bonus. No, he said, if you finish on time, you get a $30,000 bonus and you get 30% ownership in the complex. Oh my. He said, and every day you finish early, you get another thousand dollar bonus. And every day you go over, he said, you're going to lose a percentage of your ownership and you're going to lose $1,000 a day of your bonus. And he said, and then you get, we know how much theft and how much waste is going to take place on the property because we've built a bunch of them. He says, whatever you can save us, you get half. And okay, let's do it. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll never forget that first day. I was scared to death. I mean, totally just scared to death. Um, <laughs> but I pulled it off and I built it. I built 52 units of apartments in eight months. Oh, Not a year, eight months. They have never had that happen. <laughs> and nobody ever challenged me. Like, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> nobody did. That's that's like me. So when I first started in real estate development, I had zero experience, right? Like I bought this house and I was like, knew nothing about construction. And I just remember it's like, as you're talking, I'm like, it just all came back to me when I remember being on my first project and being like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Well, you know, we had, I think it was, uh, forget now, maybe eight buildings, I think, something like that. And it's uh, been so many years. But he said, you know, here's a couple of contractors for framing. He mm. says, uh, you know, this one's the best. You might want to use them. Wow. Well, I hired eight contractors. I had a different contractor for each building, not for the whole project. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then when I, he came out about, we we're almost finished, but no carpet was in. And none of the light fixtures were, were you know, the the ones they put in, you know, for aesthetic value, not, not just the, the wiring was in, but not everything else. So one of the brothers is looking at everything. He said, well, it looks like you're going to be finished maybe in about a month or six weeks or so. What he didn't realize is I had two crews of people coming in, putting in fixtures and I'd hired a carpet company and I got them committed to bring all of their employees in and work through the weekend and carpet this whole apartment complex. I said, I'll buy all the beer and pizza that you guys can eat. Just come out and start. <laughs> and so they did. And I called him up Monday and I said, I need an inspection. And he said, for what? And I said, I, I'm done. He goes, there's no way that you're done. I said, come on out. <laughs> and so he kept walking through and he said, how did you do this? How did you do this? <laughs> so, awesome. Anyway. We went on to build uh, 
almost 5,000 apartments together over the years. So, and that was kind of a side hustle after that. I didn't continue with that uh, full time. You know, it was just kind of a side business. So it was pretty cool. But, you know, again, you never know where where something's going to come that's going to save you. I didn't think that that carrying that five gallon was going to end up with that. All I thought was I need some money to eat. And here's the answer right there, you know. So, you know, got to be open. Just got to be open. Absolutely, too. And it's also, too, in the moments where you just don't think, like you said, all you were thinking about was getting to feed your family that day, you know, getting some money to do that. And you didn't think it turned into something long term. But it's amazing. And I tell people this all the time. I'm like, just because you're stuck in a rut right now does not mean that what wherever you're going to next isn't going to be just a stepping stone to where you're meant to go, right? Like for you, you would have never envisioned that all of that, just carrying that bucket would lead you to a job like that afterwards, which pretty much saved you. And then you get to move it into a three bedroom apartment that weekend. Like, I can't believe like what type of miracle that was, but it's like, sometimes people say no to small things that they don't realize, like, what if that was meant to be your stepping stone to get to the next level after that? You know, know, people, you mentioned getting stuck in a rut, people get stuck in a rut and they're familiar with it. It's like driving down the road with a road full of nails and you have a flat tire and you fix the flat tire. Makes sense. But you keep driving down the same road again you know? yep. <laughs> because it's familiar. It's a familiar road to you. So why take another route home? Um, and it's the same way in your life. You know, it, we become so familiar with our comfort zone that we're in that we, every time we, we see that we're about to get out of that comfort zone, we weigh out the the fear or the pain of changing versus the pain of staying where we are. Right. Uh, so that we see that pain of, oh, well, if I got to do that. That's going to be uncomfortable or that's going to take more time or I don't know how to do it or whatever comes up. And, and you end up sinking back into your comfort zone and just staying there. And that's unfortunate because if you're going to change in your life, every income level, every life level requires a different you. The same person, you know, who you are now, can't go to that next level. You can stay where you are and keep doing what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. But if it's not what you want, everything's wrong with it. So you got to step out and be able to, you know, be bold and step out of your comfort zone and be willing to experience some pain and, and discomfort. You think it was painful and uncomfortable, me going and taking on that project? That's <laughs> the most uncomfortable thing I, that I've ever done other than speaking in public. That was my biggest fear. That was what I was going to ask I, you. you know, I, I, <laughs> like, how did you transition from the construction piece you know, <laughs> to getting into speaking and becoming business partners with Jim Rohn? I just think it's fascinating. I think it's absolutely yeah. fascinating. Well, I, when I was in Phoenix, uh, the construction industry started kind of turning upside down. Mm. And I was there, I bought some property and I was there looking to build some warehouses and things. And, and that's where I met Jim and Jim had actually had done some home construction too, since he had left that company. And so when we got together, we really had a lot in common and and we were friends too. And he says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting a business. He said, why don't we partner up? And I said, what kind of business? He said, my seminars, promoting my seminars. And I loved his seminars. I mean, it, I'd never heard anything like them before, you know? So I said, how does that look? Well, how does that work? You know? And he said, well, you sell the tickets 
and I'll, I'll rent a room and come and do the seminar and we'll, we'll split the money coming in. I go, well, how much are tickets? He said, $15. I'm going, hmm. I said, so if I put a thousand people in the room at $15, that's 15,000, you get a half of it, you pay for the room and get yourself here. And I, I keep the rest for selling the tickets. He said, yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, I can't make any money doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Jim Rohn, so I said, okay. And uh, my first <laughs> seminar, I, I didn't know I was supposed to collect the money up front. So <laughs> I go out. He rents a room for 400 people. I tell him I'll have 400 people there. And I said, give me a month. I'll have 400 people. So I went out, and I had different connections, and uh, I had 400 people committed to come. And the night of the seminar, Jim usually comes down to the room about five minutes before it starts. And it started at 7.30 in the evening. So he gets down about 7.25. He looks in the room. There's nobody in there. And he said, Where, where's the people? And I said, oh, they'll be here. I got 400 people coming. Oh, okay. Then uh, here comes one or two people. Long story short, I ended up with 14 people oh. uh, in a 400-person room. One of those uh, people, uh, he was one of my best friends. And the other one was uh, Tom Hopkins. I don't know if you've heard of Tom Hopkins. He's the number one sales trainer in the world at that time. They both came. And I'll never forget watching Jim with 14 people in the room, kind of scattered all over the room. He did one of the best seminars I've ever heard him in a room that was empty. And then when <laughs> the final knife in the gut <laughs> was, was when Tom Hopkins walked out, he looked at me when he walked out and he says, Jimmy, he said, that was one of the best seminars I've ever heard in my life. He said, but you need more people. <laughs> I got with Jim afterwards and I said, give me another chance. And he did. And I put a thousand people in the room. Wow. And then I moved to California later on and uh, I was putting a thousand people a week in Orange County. And then I ended up with 300 full-time salespeople, raised the ticket price from $15 to $60, created a home study course, created a leadership event that we did. You know, it turned into a couple million dollars a month business for us for about eight years. Oh, my. So it, that's how it all unfolded. That's how, you know, you know speaking was, was not my strong point. It was the greatest fear I think I'd ever had. First time I spoke in public, I don't remember what I said, and, and I couldn't <laughs> see the audience. I was so terrified. It was like I was blind. There was only like 20 people in the room, but it was terrifying. But I, I thought, you know, either I don't do it anymore Right. Or I do it often until I get better at it. Mm. And I, ch I chose the latter, fortunately. So I'll never forget when all the fear went away. Uh, that was really a, a, an amazing moment. And, and it was. Every event I'd ever done, I always had that gut feeling, that nervous feeling, and that need for approval from my audience, I guess. And I'll never forget when it went away. And my first thought was when I saw the audience, I can't wait to get up there. <laughs> like no nervous feeling in the gut, you know? So yeah, it taught me a lot. That's been a great, great career. Yeah. I mean, so transitioning. So I'm sure that Jim Rohn had something to do with it to inspire you to go off on your own and start your speaking. Cause you've done tremendous. I mean, you started your own brand of course, and then you shifted into writing your own books about 15. If, if I recall correctly, right. 
and just a bunch of other programs that you sort of launched yourself. So how, what was sort of the push to get you into that realm to start your own program? Well, when first thing we did was within a few months after Jim Rohn and I were together, we created a series of workshops. Mm. And he said, well, I can't do the workshops. you got to do them. <laughs> so, so it was a little different. You know, we had exercises and things. So it wasn't like a, a speaking for three hours at one time. And then I got, I did a, a, a few little talks around here and there and never really got paid much for it, for doing the speaking. Jim's fee back then was $7,500 for a keynote. And so he was booked for a keynote at one point and um, I think it was in, well, it was in New York. For a big convention and he got stranded in australia and couldn't get out oh no um, flights got canceled so i had to call the meeting organizer of that big event and tell him that he couldn't make it mm. and he said oh my god he said i've been promoting him you know forever he's got to make it and i said no he's, he's not going to make it he's stuck <laughs> And he said, well, what am I going to do? And I said, man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it never dawned on me to tell him that I'll do it. You know? right, he, right, said, right. <laughs> he said, well, do you have anybody else that speaks in your group? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, um, are you any good? <laughs> my name's said, Jim too. <laughs> you said, oh, my name's Jim too. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. And, and I, I wasn't that confident. And he said, so what is your fee? And I didn't know what to say because <laughs> I'm not as good as Jim Rohn and he's charging 7,500. So I said, can you hang on one second? Somebody's at my office door here and they, they have a question. I'll be right back. Hang on. <laughs> put him on hold. I'm going, what do I do? What do, what do I charge? <laughs> and so I finally I, I come back and I said, I'm so sorry. I said, you were asking what my fee was. He said, yes. And I said, it's 5,000 for a keynote. And he said, okay, you got it. And I hung up and I'm going, $5,000 for a keynote for an hour? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, that was my first paid keynote. And also, I've never charged less than that. (laughs) It's always been more than that uh, over the years. So pretty, uh, it it was pretty interesting how everything kind of fell together. I never planned to be a speaker. I never planned to be a writer. In fact, English was my worst subject. My first book, I had to hire somebody to help me write it. Uh, You know, I talked and she typed and and then we both edited together. And after that, I thought, heck, I can write a book. So I wrote the next one, 300 pages in 30 days. And pretty much all of my books have taken about 30 days to write. Um, And they're all about 300 pages for some reason. So, so, you know, things progress. I've never had long-term goals saying, okay, by this time, I'm going to do this. I just do everything I can do every day. And I know what it takes to accomplish, you know, anything you want to accomplish in your life. You've got to, you've got to do certain things. And most people leave out some of those things, you know, and it, it's so important. I interviewed 12 mega millionaires. They're all worth over 200 million, started with nothing. One was a billionaire. At one point, he was the 23rd richest man in America. And as I'm interviewing them, after about two interviews, I thought, you know, it almost sounds like both of those interviews, I think I'd done three interviews at that point, that all three of them sounded like it's the same kind of traits that got them where they are. And they're all in, all 12 of them were in different businesses. And sure enough, by the time I finished, you know, I'm looking at myself, I'm going, why have I become successful? And I look at the same traits and I'm going, yeah, it's the same thing. 
It's the same exact thing for every one of them. So it taught me something that if you want to accomplish a goal, whatever that is, if you want to start a business or make more money or become a millionaire or whatever it is, it requires those six things. And if you don't have them, um, you probably won't uh, accomplish what you set out to accomplish. Right. One thing was was fascinating about your story, Jim, is like you have stepped into things like and and not thought about it, right? And I found myself in that so many times where it's like you don't even allow yourself a minute to think. You're just like, yep, I'm just gonna do it and then figure it out, right? Like Marie Forleo's biggest quote is, "Everything's figure outable," right? Oh, yeah. So it's like, you can always figure it out. So like, I love your story when you were saying like, you know, with the keynote, you're like, oh, how much do I charge? Uh, wait, hold on. There's somebody at the door. Uh, uh-oh, what do I charge? You know, and then you just kind of went for it. And I think that that is a big attribute to your success is your ability to adapt so well. well. In one of my books, I wrote, if you want to accomplish something, you know, say yes, and then figure it out. Yep. Then I just saw... Richard Branson. I had the Branson part. I was trying to, you know, Richard Branson. <laughs> I saw him. His quote was, say yes, and wasn't exactly mine, but it, it, it meant the same things. You know, <laughs> commit to it, then figure out how to do it, I think is what his was. So, uh, but that's always been my philosophy. I mean, I look at something, if, if, if you want to build a high-rise building, you know, then say yes and go figure out how to do it. Yep. And I had a license in the state of Arizona to build high-rise buildings. I could build anything but roads and bridges. They didn't trust me with that, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> that's so, and I find it so funny because we basically are both in like the construction fields because that's exactly how I got into real estate. It was like, I want to start flipping houses, but that's like construction, right? And I get my first project and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to go for it and do it. And then it just sort of evolved from there. And it's the same thing. I, I can build yeah. anything, high rises too. I just can't build roads and bridges. I guess they don't trust me either. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, when I when we moved here and bought property, uh, they said, who's your uh, general contractor? And I said, that would be me. And I don't have a license, but I'm a owner-builder. And, you know, I said, I can do it. So, it's fascinating. It's, uh, it's Yeah, it's um, oh, been interesting. Very interesting. So, out of your 15 books, what would be your favorite that you've written thus far? Well, I would say the first one. Mm. And, and the reason is because it's my story. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of what I would consider or what people would probably consider a lot of coincidences in that book. Yeah. Kind of like the guy knocking on my door. It seems to happen to me for some reason. Uh, and it still happens. And I think the reason is because I'm more focused on being present in the in the moment versus looking back at my past and saying, oh, if I'd only done this, or if I'd only done that, or if I hadn't lost that, look where I'd have been now, or whatever, you know, I'm not concerned about the future. Uh, I don't worry about that. And and I don't plan for it, uh, you know, as far as business-wise. I just do what I do, and one day leads to the next. I don't set goals. I don't, in a way, I set goals, but I don't do it in a way people set goals. Uh, I don't write them down, for one thing, because I can remember them. I don't need to write them down. I don't create storyboards and vision boards and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, to me, what it takes to accomplish something, number one, you have to have a desire Mm -hmm. to change. And almost everybody has a desire, but they won't take that desire to the next step. Mm -hmm. They have a desire to make more money. They have a desire to live a better lifestyle. They have a desire to drive a better car, to have a better relationship, to 
you know, have the perfect body or whatever it is. They have a desire to do that, but will they really go to the next step? Mm. And the next step is you've got to make a decision to do it. Mm. And if you haven't made a decision that is so clear that it rules out anything else, because you can't have two decisions at the same time. You can't make a decision to be wealthy and live in mediocrity at the same time. That's two different decisions. So if you want to be wealthy, whatever that means to you, you make a decision to do that. Right. And then your goals are incremental steps to getting to that decision. The problem most people make is they set the goal without the decision. So the goal is like a pie in the sky. Uh, you know, I'll make this vision board and look at it every day and it's going to come true. Well, it's not going to come true unless you've backed it up with a decision that's so strong that nothing less than that will do. And I don't care anything in your life. You know, you look at people who set a New Year's resolution to lose 50 pounds and, and they join the gym and they get, you know, the, the right diet and all this stuff. 15 days later, they haven't gone to the gym. Maybe they went once or twice and, and they're sitting on their sofa eating potato chips and watching TV and they're back into their comfort zone. It's human nature, but you've got to make that decision that nothing less than that will do because yep. We live in a black and white world, not a gray world, black and white. Once you've made a decision, everything you do from that point forward, every action you take based on that decision is going to move you toward it or away from it. Mm. It's that simple. You know, if you make a decision to get healthier and every day at lunch you're eating fast food at some burger place, that's two different decisions. <laughs> you know, you've already ruled out being healthy when you're doing that. So why not just... Make, make a decision to be unhealthy and then eat fast food, then you're, you're okay. Except right. you won't live that long. So. <laughs> but that's okay if that's all you want. You want a short life, that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, but that decision is so important. And we've all done it. You know, we make a decision, I'm, I'm going to get that new BMW or whatever. And it's so firm that we just, we can't wait to get to the dealership or we can't wait till the new one comes out or we, you know, because we made the decision. We made a decision to get a degree in college or whatever, and we work toward it. But most people, I think, try to figure out how to get there before they make the decision as mm -hmm. to what they want to do. So you're not going to have any answer show up for you yep. until that decision is made. Yep. That, you're absolutely right in that because so many people are like, you know, how can I get to this level? Oh, I want to get to this. Like, for example, like for me, it's the startup world that I get all the questions on because on the entrepreneurial side, well, Pam, I want to start a business. I'm like, yeah, but just don't think about it. Just do it. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, you, you got to just like put your head down and just say, I'm going to do it and just find out how you're going to do it. Look at how other people in the industry have done it and just keep going. And they just think I'm crazy. But I think what you're saying is so important. Like you just, you have to make a decision to commit and just move forward. Yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts. You've got to find the way, you know, yeah. got to find the way. As scary as it is, but I think it's that uncertainty that really gets people. Well, it is, you know, I hear people all the time, well, I'm going to start a business. I'm getting ready to get going. Yeah. As soon as this yeah. is done, then I can get started. You know, like a, a guy came to me one time and he called me and he said, you know, I understand that you're, you're really an expert in small business. And he says, I, I, could I run one by you and see what you think about it? And I said, sure. So I asked him a little bit about himself and what he did. And he was going to start a direct selling business, which I had some good experience in that. And 
I, he said, so what do you think about my, the business I'm looking at? And I said, you know, it's, I, I know the company. I said, it's a viable company. And I said, I, I think it's probably a smart move if, if you like the company and you feel like you can be successful. I said, so why do you want to do it anyway? And he talked about, well, I want a residual income. I want to, uh, I want to make more money. I want an unlimited potential with it. And I want to work from home. And he had all of these great things and have better vacations and all that kind of stuff. So I said, well, I think it's great. I said, when are you going to get started? He said, well, right now, he said, I'm going through a divorce. And he said, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what direction that's going and how much money it's going to cost me. He said, the IRS also is kind of after me. And he said, I've got to settle with them. And in addition, he said, well, you know, as soon as I get all those things resolved, he said, you know, my divorce, the IRS and in my job, they're getting ready to do a cutback. And he said, I might, might end up losing my job. He said, as soon as all that's resolved, then I'll get started. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, which do you honor the most, your problems or your vision for a better life? He said, well, of course, I, my vision for a better life. And I said, well, then I would suggest getting started like right now, today. And he said, but you don't understand what I'm going through. And he started to name them off again. And I said, hold it. I said, I understand you got problems. I said, if you're on planet Earth and you don't have problems, you probably don't have a pulse. <laughs> I said, so I said, problems are a part of life. Yep. And I said, uh, once you get rid of those three problems that you just named off, you're going to have three more that takes its place. Because mm-hmm. you're focused on your problems and you're going to create more problems. I said, get started today. And I said, you've got to go with what you honor in your life. You honor a vision for a better life or do you honor where you are? And he chose to wait. <laughs> I never followed up. I don't know if he ever did it or not, but yeah, it's a, interesting though, what people do. Interesting. You've dropped a lot of really amazing nuggets throughout the interview, but what would be your biggest piece of advice to anyone out there just looking to start something new or, you know, they're, you know, wherever they are in their path, if they're looking for change, because I know that a lot of people that I know and a lot of people who've approached me has been like, hey, Pam, like, how do I get to the next? Like, I want to do this. Well, what's, well how do I get there? You know, you got to keep an open mind for one thing and look at your areas of expertise or what you really want to accomplish in your life and make sure it aligns with your, your values, you know, because your core values can actually make a lot of your decisions for you. You know, if you've got a core value of being honest and somebody presents you with something that's a little bit dishonest, well, your decision's already made because my value is honesty or my value is integrity or whatever it is. So make sure that whatever you're looking into matches up with your core values. I'd, I'd say that's a good thing to look at. There's a lot of opportunities out there. They're, they're everywhere. Uh, it's just being open to them and not getting in a panic, you know, trying to figure it out because it's just like somebody says, I, I'm trying to figure out what my purpose is in life. I said, well, that's easy. I can tell everybody what their purpose is right now. It's whatever you're doing right now. Otherwise you'd be doing something different. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get finished with whatever you're doing now, you'll have a new purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And I said, if, if you're broke and that's your purpose in life, and as soon as you figure out how to not be broke, you can go to the next level and have a new purpose in life. So you're trying to work through the things that you're going through, but look at something that inspires you, you know, that uh, not only financially, but, you know, from a personal standpoint, uh, if you feel like you want to do something that's really helping a lot of people, then 
look at opportunities like that. But there's plenty of opportunities out there. And one of the things that, that holds people back, I was on a panel in front of a few thousand people uh, a few years back, and I was asked, what's the number one thing that you've learned in business over the years or in, in life um, that's been the most beneficial over and above everything else? And, and I never hesitated. I said, the ability to let go. Mm. Ability to let go. Uh, because so many people hang on to stuff. Woman in one of my workshops, she shared one day, she, we were talking about success and financial success. And she said, well, I can never be successful financially. I said, well, why not? Uh, well, because of my father. And I said, so what about your father? I thought maybe she had a, a dying father or something she was taking care of or whatever. And she said, well, my father put me down constantly when I was younger, almost on a daily basis. He would tell me I'd never mount to anything, you know, would never hug me, never love me, tell me I wouldn't measure up to my siblings, never be as successful as they're going to be. And she said, he just beat me up verbally all the time. And she said, so that's the reason I can't be successful. I said, oh, I said, so uh, where's your father now? She said, well, he died 10 years ago. I said, oh, I said, well, who's abusing you now? She said, I don't understand the question. I said, well, your father's not here to abuse you. I said, who's abusing you now? She said, I still don't understand the question. I said, well, you think about it for a while. I'll come back. So I worked with some other people and did some other things. About 20 minutes, I came back and I said, did you figure out who's abusing you now? She says, no. I said, okay, well, keep thinking about it. Third time back, she says, she said, you mean I'm abusing me? I said, what do you think? She said, I don't know. I said, well, you think about it. The fourth time back, she's <laughs> walked up in front of her. She said, oh, my God. She said, I'm the one abusing me. She said, I'm carrying on my father's mission. Yep. She said, I'm keeping that alive. I said, that's exactly it. And so I worked with her for a while on letting that go. And you could see 10 years come off of her face during that 15 or 20 minute process that I worked with her on. So, you know, that ability to realize that something happened in your past, but it's not happening to you now. Yeah. If you bring it into now, it's more powerful than it was when it happened in the past yep. because it's built momentum and, and strength and it'll keep happening until you quit paying attention to it. Right. Right. Cause had you let your emotions or your mentality from what you were going through in the beginning, well, letting go is some people think it's difficult. Mm. It's really not. Mm. We do it all the time. You look back in, you know, in high school, for example, I was in love with this girl and in ninth grade. I was in love with her. I thought I could never live my life without her. Well, she broke up with me. I didn't know why she just broke up with me. And I was devastated. And I thought, I just can't make it. I don't know what to do, you know. And then I think back and I'm going, I can't even remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a couple of weeks later, I'm probably on looking at some other girl, you know. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes we, we hang on to that stuff. It affects us in such a negative way that we can't see our way out of it. So the ability to let go and disconnect. I mean, you know, I look back at my experience that first year in business and while I was going through it, I thought it was probably one of the worst years of my life. But looking back on it, it's probably one of the best years of my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't hang on to that stuff. You know, yeah, I got rejected 3,650 times. 
Yeah. Somebody asked me a while back, how do you handle rejection? I said, I already did that. I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> I did it more than you'll ever do it. <laughs> I just compressed it all into one year and I'm done with it. You know? But you got to let go. I mean, I've lost money. I did a television infomercial a few years ago. It cost me 750000 roughly, and it didn't work. Well, I could hang on to that. And I spent all that money and blah, 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 and whine about it and tell everybody about it. But I don't. You just move on. You cut the tie to it and you move on. That's it. Right. Because it holds you back. Right. And if you allow it to, it absolutely yeah. will. It'll keep See, you. See, letting go, once you've decided you want something, as I mentioned before, from that point forward, everything you do, every action you take is going to move you toward it or away from it. Right. So letting go is as simple as becoming self-observant, not self-aware. You, know, you can be aware that you're broke or depressed or angry or sad or whatever, but that does no good at all. And just go, I'm depressed. Well, how are you going to get out of your depression? Self-observation is separating you from your depression. It's separating and looking at yourself and saying, there I am being depressed again. There I am being angry again. There I am hanging on to that stuff again. As soon as you do that, it cuts the tie to it. You can't be angry and observe yourself. Right. And, you know, I look at it this way. You're the CEO of your mind. Mm -hmm. And so there's some part of us that can actually see ourselves doing what we do. Like a higher consciousness that we can see ourselves. Just like you can be in an airplane traveling at 600 miles an hour that doesn't make you an airplane, but you can observe yourself in that airplane. Right. You no. Know? Right. So it's looking at things in a simpler way, I think, instead of complicating and get all caught up in emotions and things from the past. Absolutely. That's fascinating, Jim. It's absolutely fascinating. I just, I love your perspective because it's so different from what I've heard in the past. Cause you know, you hear everyone say, write down your goals and vision boards and this <laughs> and that. And it's like, you come in with the simplistic sort of flow. And I think it's beautiful. You know, I think it's really fascinating hearing the different perspective and sort of how you got to where you're at, because I just find it amazing that you went from being, it was 21 at the time, right? When you had that job in 3,650 rejections you had a child, you're losing your home, and then not even two years later, how you accelerated your life and you just let go of all that negativity in the past and you just plugged forward. You know, I think that that's really remarkable, really remarkable and speaks to where you are today and why you've been able to change others and influence and inspire throughout the day. I grew up in a simple, with a simple life. I had loving parents. Nobody was an alcoholic or drug user or anything like that. We were poor. We didn't even have electricity or running water until I was 12. <laughs> We lived in the backwoods of Oklahoma. Uh, I guess we were so far out that we, they hadn't run power lines out there yet. So we had kerosene lanterns and lamps and an outhouse and, uh, and a well. So I lived a simple life and it was a loving family and a, just simplicity. And of course, dropping out of school in 10th grade and not listening to any teachers past eighth grade at all. So you might say I have an eighth grade education. Well, that makes me kind of simple, too, because I don't know any big words. You know, <laughs> I just, I got to keep it down to that uh, 10th grade level. Otherwise, I don't understand it. I just read one this morning. Somebody sent me a, a, their chapter, actually, for the upcoming book. And, yeah. and I got stuck on a word. I'm going, what is that? I kept looking at it. I couldn't even pronounce the word. 
And so they asked me for feedback and I said, I would change that word to something else because nobody's going to know what it is. I've never even heard it before. <laughs> I, I'd tell you what it is. But I don't know how to pronounce it. So. <laughs> That's so funny. But, anyway, I like to keep things simple because uh, life is simple unless you make it complex. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you on that. And I mean, it's like if you follow the life principles that they teach you in kindergarten or first grade, you know, like don't cheat, don't lie. It's really life is that simple, right? Yeah, and I tell people that all the time too. So I completely agree with you. Yeah. And now, so Jim, on the horizon, what's coming next for you in like the next year or so? Because I know COVID has kind of ruffled the feathers of live speaking for the time being, but sort of what do you see sort of coming next for I'm you? I'm for our heads. Is this true? I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, I've got two new books coming out. I just, I just finished both of them. Uh, one of them's being laid out right now and the other one's is coming out pretty quick here. So I just finished those, those, those are two books I wrote since uh, the whole COVID lockdown. So I got inspired to do that. I've been thinking about writing them for a while. So, um, so that's, uh, I'll be promoting those. I've got a new online course that I created called Cracking the Rich Code, which is, uh, it's a four month course and it's designed to, help people to develop a new relationship toward money mm. and reprogram your subconscious. Because when you look at it, almost everybody spends 80% of their waking hours focused on making money right. in one way or the other. You know, they commute to work and back and forth and work eight or nine hours a day and come home and, you know, maybe get a meal and watch a TV show or two and go to sleep, get up and do it again. And, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what they like. But we're all focused on money and most people don't have enough of it. And the reason they don't is because of their relationship with money. So the whole program is designed to help, help people reprogram that subconscious into where money is more natural. Money is more, you can see opportunities. It's coming to you. And a lot of it's just changing your thinking process and your, and your programming. You know, we've all been programmed, I mean, by well-meaning people most of the time, but in society and we just get programmed. Right. So I'm on a deprogram and, and reprogram. That's a four-month program that's up, up and running now, crackingtherichcode.com. So I'm doing that and I'm doing some online events and I'm getting ready to buy a boat and do some fishing. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, that's and I think I might buy a pontoon party boat too, just to be able to go out and get away. And because it can't go anywhere right now, so you know, get a pontoon boat, go out and put that on the lake, and go out there every weekend and hang out. That's so, awesome. Jim, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. So, where can all these wonderful followers find you, uh, besides crackingtherichcode.com? Uh, Jimbrit.com. Jimbrit.com. Uh, J-I-M-B-R-I-T-T.com. So everything's on there just starting out and, and really need a boost. So, um, uh, but they're all very talented and there's got some cool people in, in the community now. Absolutely. I know. I'm so excited to be part of that. And I can't wait because I know for sure we're going to have a part two of this because I know there's going to be more we do together with, without question. But I want to thank you so much for today, Jim. Like it was such an honor to hear your story and just your genuine words behind everything that you said. I just love all your guidance and your little nuggets of advice. And I hope that the audience enjoyed it as well. So thank you so, so much. 
I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.